Well, good morning, y'all. So, how have you been doing this week? Identifying your issue? Have you even come to grips with the fact that you even have any yet? Any chance? If you, uh, if you missed last week, we're in the middle of a series called Strong in the Broken Places, and we've been going through the, the 12 steps, which we've discovered actually are based on biblical principles, and that God is at the heart of this whole 12-step thing. And if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to um, listen to the podcast. I don't do that very often, but I think that in this particular case, if you're able to grab all eight Um, messages in the series, I think it would be important um, because what our hope is that we're kind of starting down a path where we can work through these steps and really create some meaningful change in our lives in 2017 uh, where we can draw a line in the sand and say, you know, I'm going to be a different person. Um, If you were here last week, hopefully, as I suggested, that you've identified that thing, that Goliath, as we named it last week in your life, that is a problem that is bigger than you are, that's causing your life to be off. We all have a little junk in our lives and that we have to deal with, and the question is, and one of the issues is, that we have to identify it in order to deal with it. So I know how you love going through the list, so I thought we just have a little, for the sake of review, going through some of the possibilities uh, of some of the issues that maybe some of us are dealing with. Things like being a workaholic, things like uh, food, uh, where the food just controls us and so we're overeating, dealing with issues of alcohol, drugs, both illegal and prescription, like painkillers. Um, some of us, we cope through spending money and buying stuff. Um, some of us are, have become overly critical and negative. Um, some of us are dealing with issues of anger and rage, and that's what controls us. Some of us walk around just full of fear and anxiety all the time. Some of us have issues with gambling, uh, judgmentalism, sexual promiscuity or codependency. Some of us are dealing with stuff like being just self-absorbed, narcissistic, and there's nothing else in the world that matters other than me and getting my needs met. Some of us blame everybody else and everything else for our problems, and so we walk around like a victim wrapped in self-pity. For some of us, our issue is perfectionism, and we have no tolerance for anybody who makes mistakes, and especially me. Some of us have issues with Lying or pornography, uh, getting involved in unhealthy relationships, and there's a real pattern there over and over, and it just is destroying our lives. Dealing with issues of jealousy and resentment, and some of us just have an insatiable need to control. Can you find your issue on that list? If you can't, chances are you have the bigger issue, and we call that what? Denial. That's right. Actually, it was funny. I had a lot of people come up to me um, after last week's service, and they said, so do you think it's possible that we could have more than one of these issues? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh yes, my brothers and sisters, there is no limit to our ability to screw up our lives. <laughs> I am amazing at it. Uh, so last week, we um, talked about the first two steps. We admit that we are powerless over our problems and that our lives have become unmanageable, but we've also come to believe that God can restore sanity to our lives. And so the first two steps really is, are, are really about coming to the realization about what's going on, that we, we have an issue and that we need help. We need God's help. The third step really begins to get into the hard work that it takes, the practical application of doing the steps that um, cause us to create change. But here's step three is really um, where we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And I hit a bit of a intellectual wall on this one. Because, you know, I, I, get my, I get that I have issues, right? In step one, I, I, can, I can admit that. I get my powerlessness. I get my need for God in steps one and two. But what's very difficult for me is the practical application of what it looks like to turn my will over to God. What does that even look like? How do I turn control of my issues, my life, over to a supposed heavenly father who wants nothing but the best for me, but how do I trust him when I haven't even seen him? So I don't think I'm alone on that, right? That there is this... Heavenly Father that's out there, and it's one thing to believe that He's out there, that something created the world, that there is this higher power, but it gets really, really personal, and it really requires a lot of faith when it um, comes down to me turning control of my life over to Him. I mean, this idea of total, unconditional surrender is probably the toughest part about turning our will over to God. It's got a nice sound to it, it's got a nice ring to it, but the practicality of it, if you're like me, it, it, it's, it's very, very difficult to turn these issues and to relinquish control of my life over to a God that I've never seen. I believe that most of us, especially men, we are very good at compartmentalizing our lives. And we keep everything kind of separate and segmented. We have our family over here. We have our work over here. We have church here and finances over here. And um, what happens is when we decide to turn our will over to God and give our lives to Jesus, we make a commitment to leave our past behind us and we consolidate all of those compartments, we roll them all up into one, and we turn them all over to him and move forward in a new life in God. That's what the Bible asks us to do. That's what the Christian life is all about. We take all those compartments, we live, in, we live authentically through all of those compartments, and we have turned all of that over to God. 
And so as time moves on, I'm not naive enough to believe that that happens like all at once. And so as time moves on, we grow in our trust with God and we turn more and more of these compartments over of our lives over to Jesus as we trust him more and allow him to take control of those areas. And the result is that there is this life-changing experience that begins to occur. We become completely different people. And the more positive change that we see in our life, the more of our life that we continue to want to hand over to God until finally we get down to the last compartment. The last thing that we have been holding on to so tightly There's just one thing that it seems like we can't let go of. That, my friends, that is our Goliath. That's our issue. That's what controls us. That's what kicks our butts. And like we've been talking about, That one thing, that secret compartment is different for all of us, but I'm telling you, we all got one. We all keep a little secret compartment of our lives tucked away from the rest of the world, and we don't want anybody else to know about it because as much as we enjoy it, as much as we indulge in it, we know it's not good. We know that it creates a barrier, not only between us and other people, but it creates a barrier between us and God. And so as we described it as our Goliath last week, this week we're going to call it what the Bible calls it, which is our sin. And the scary part about it for a lot of us is we don't want to let it go. At least not yet. But as long as it's still there and we don't do anything to give that last compartment over and completely remove it from our lives, I will promise you this. It will remain a threat to us that can ultimately destroy us. And so the third step stated another way is that I make a decision to take the steps necessary to turn my motivation, my thinking, and my actions over to God. Whatever motivates me to do what I do, whatever drives my thinking and directs my action, that is what needs to be completely turned over to God. It's all about handing that last compartment over and letting it go making the conscious decision that I'm going to stop living with me in control and begin to live a life in God where we've given up control of our lives fully to him. I think one of the best pictures that we have um, in the Bible of what that looks like when we aren't willing to let that last compartment go and we keep hold of that even if it's not active, I'll say, 
It's found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs and in chapter 7. Proverbs is a book that was written most likely by King Solomon. And he uses the metaphor of a woman seducing a young man to go to bed with her as an example of how sin can spin its web of deceit and how we allow ourselves to get entangled in it when we pretend like it's not an issue for us. So let me read from Proverbs chapter 7. It says, At the window of my house I looked down through the lattice, and I noticed a young man who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. You can almost feel the danger, can't you? I mean, this young guy who obviously at least knows about this woman, he knows her neighborhood, he knows the street that she lives on, he knows her house, and he starts walking down the street toward her. And with that first step in her direction, he starts flirting with disaster. It says he was hiding under the cover of night because he knew what he was doing was wrong, but it didn't stop him. He takes another step. And he says, ah, it's no big deal. Maybe I'll just walk by and see if I can just catch a glimpse of her through the window. It'll be so innocent. I won't let it get out of control. I think this paints a great picture for dealing with whatever it is that is our Goliath, our greatest weakness, that which has control over us. When we have that one compartment of our lives that we have held back from God, it's a threat. I mean, just by the way this text describes the boy, you kind of get the impression, maybe in the omission of the text, that that this is really a good guy, right? He's pretty innocent, which the same can be true of us. We may be good people. We may be good, moral, church-going people. We may have changed a lot about our lives for, through the years, and we may have developed a strong relationship with God. And whatever the issue is in our life, Maybe it's not been an issue for me for a really long time. And so we figure, ah, I got it. I got this thing conquered. But we still hold on to it. We still tuck it away. We still hold it back from turning it over completely to God. And so from time to time, what happens? We take that little secret compartment out. From time to time, we just open it up just a little bit. Just enough to peek in. Just enough to remember what it was like. To experience it just a little bit. When we do that, we start flirting around with evil. We start walking down the street toward it. And we think we can handle it. Ah, I'm just going to peek in the window. Just catch a glimpse of it. 
But with that first step that we take, we open a door that we may not be able to shut again. You think, ah, I won't let it go too far. I got this. I just want to play around a little. And before we know it, we fall into the same old pattern. It could be 10 years later, and we fall into the same old pattern again. The passage goes on. It says, while he was out just by her house, she came out to him. She came out to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, I I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. How can you resist a bed covered in aloes and cinnamon? (laughs) Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. And with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Those of us who struggle with the victim position would say, I had no intention of even doing any of that. It was all her fault. She came after me. The text says, I looked for you and I found you. The literal translation is, I have caught you. But maybe, just maybe, he wanted to get caught. Maybe he wanted to make it her fault so he could say that it wasn't really him. Instead of avoiding her street, he placed himself in a dangerous situation. This woman in our text represents those issues that have a hold on us. Those things that in and of themselves are not wrong. But taken out of the context and using them in the way that God designed them, it's a sin. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Alcohol, in and of itself, is not wrong. But when it controls me and I abuse it, it becomes evil in my life. There's nothing wrong with sex. I'm just saying. But it's only when we pursue sexual desires outside of the context that it was created for our enjoyment that makes it wrong. Anytime there is an issue that has a hold on us to the point that it controls us, that becomes the entrance point of evil in our lives. And we got to lock that thing down. Our weaknesses are way more powerful than we give credit. It tricks us into believing that we've gotten rid of everything else for God, I've done everything else he asked. Surely this one little thing won't matter. And so we begin to justify what we're doing and making it a normal part of our life. And it's in those quiet moments when we are all alone, when the face of temptation pops up and says, the coast is clear. Nobody's looking. Let's do it. 
and without even realizing it. It may have been years gone by, it's never been an issue, but we open that door again and it has a hold on us once again and we can't shake it. Well, unfortunately, the axe is about to drop on our young man. And in verses 22 through 27, it says, All at once, he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Got the picture? Holy cow. (laughs) You ever been there? I mean, it all starts out so innocently, and then all of a sudden it blows up into this full-blown destruction. There are a lot of us, a lot of us, who have tucked away that one last compartment of our life that we don't want to come clean about, that we don't want to let go of, just yet. Someday, someday I'll deal with it. Someday I'll put it behind me, but that someday, that someday never comes. We all need to know what the face of our temptation looks like. We need to be honest with ourselves and say that I have an issue in this area of my life so that we can protect ourselves in that area of my life. So that we can avoid coming to the end of our life with that issue still having a stranglehold over me where I've been a prisoner all my life to this thing. We all do things that we don't want to do that aren't good for us all the time, that are self-destructive. We're all in the same boat. We just need to learn how to deal with it ourselves. I mean, (laughs) listen to the, uh, the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. I mean, this is an incredible passage to me. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does this sound like somebody who's got his life together to you? I mean, this is an apostle, an apostle of God who's just as jacked up as you or me. We all have to deal with it. I end up doing what I don't want to do, and the stuff that I really want to do, somehow I just don't do it. In other words, I have an amazing capacity to screw up my life. It's so frustrating. The underlying problem is not if I have 
issues or addictions or these Goliaths. It never has been. It's how we're going to deal with it. It's deciding who it is that's going to run my life. Who's going to be in control? Can we admit that most of us have told God to move over? That I am taking control of my life now? It's not that we say, I don't believe in you, God. Or that you are not important to me, God. No, it's understood. I'll take it from here, God. And all hell breaks loose when we start doing the things we don't want to do over and over and over again. But all of a sudden, like the Apostle Paul says, he gets it in verse 25. He just says, thanks be to God who saves me from me, by the way through Christ Jesus our Lord, because he knew that Jesus is the only one who could save him from the insanity of his life. I think that the important line in step three is where it says, as we understand him. We turn our will over to him as we understand him. No wonder so many of us don't turn over the most important Thing in our lives over to God because we don't even know him. How can I trust God with my life if I am clueless about who he is and what he is capable of doing in my life? And so if I'm going to turn my will over to him, then I have to make it my business to find out who God is and what he's about. And here's what you'll discover when you do. God wants the best for you. I can honestly say that the more that I discover about who God is, the more of me that I am willing to turn over because I have seen it. My life in God is so much better than my life without God. I am so much a better person having God in my life. I mean, doesn't it make sense to you That if God created you, that nobody else, and if you believe that, that's at your core, right? And if you believe that, there is nobody else in your life that knows how to make your life work more than him. And so if your issue is food, overeating, and you start eating in a healthy way, you start eating in a way that God created you to eat in the way that we should have a relationship with food, all of a sudden what happens? We feel better. We're healthier. We have a better quality of life. If your issue is sex, and you've been dealing with sexual issues that have taken you down all of your life, and you've never found satisfaction in this area, and all of a sudden you turn that last compartment of your life over to God, and you start having meaningful beautiful sex the way that God created to be enjoyed with your husband or your wife, it's mind-blowing how satisfying that is. If your issue is alcohol and you start living 
sober, if your issue is anger and you start living with healthier communication, if you, your issue is control and you start letting go, all of a sudden when you start living the way that God designed us to live, you, there is a peace about you that no one can quite describe and nobody can quite put their finger on why all of a sudden they really like hanging out with you now. Because if my motivation is God-directed, and I am making decisions because of my relationship with God, those decisions will be healthier because I'm finally living life the way that it was created to be lived. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to give up that last little bit of turf? Are you ready to totally, unconditionally surrender that last compartment once and for all? I have to tell you, just being honest, I have really, really screwed up my life in the past. I have really made some bad mistakes where I blew my life up. And it wasn't until then that I was able to see clearly, unfortunately, that I needed God. And I needed to make radical changes. And it wasn't easy, and it wasn't fun surrendering those areas of my life over to Jesus. But I can honestly say, I am a better person because I have. And I enjoy life more because I have. But I can also tell you this. It is not over. I have not won. I have not conquered. It is a lifetime commitment for me to bring about change. And I've got to know my issue. I've got to know the face of my temptation. I know the neighborhood my temptation lives in. I know the street that it's on. And I walk all the way around the other side of the stinking city just to avoid it. When we turn our will over to God, it means that we put protective measures in our life where we avoid it altogether. The seductive nature of sin is nothing to play around with, and we have to take that last little compartment of our life and get rid of it and get it over to God. But make no mistake about it. It'll be one heck of a battle in your life, a battle for control before it happens. Step three. Turn my will. Turn your will over to God. And not just the easy stuff. Not just the stuff that everybody knows about. Not just the church compartment or the family compartment. But that we make a decision that we're going to surrender it all. Even the last little secret compartments that nobody knows about that I am holding back. 
And this is the time where we just walk up to God and we say, take my life. Have at it. Will you pray this prayer with me? I believe that I am saved by the unconditional grace of God. And there is nothing I can do to make God love me anymore. There is nothing I can do to make God love me any less. And because of that, I come before you, Jesus, just as I am and not as I should be. I come to you with all my past, all my baggage, all my sin, and lay it at your feet. Jesus, I ask that you take it from me and free me from all that holds me back from giving myself fully to you. I ask that you fill me with compassion, humility, patience. Give me the strength to forgive myself and others as you have forgiven me. Give me the focus to keep my heart set on you and not on earthly things and the problems of this world. I come before you right now, Jesus, and give you my life, not in part, but the whole. I ask that you will give me the strength to rise up and walk firmly in my faith until the very end. Amen.